of a series called Theology for Ordinary People. And the goal of this series is for us to cover about eight topics that lay at the foundations of what we believe as Christians. Anyone know what number we're up to this week? It's a test. Four. What did I say last week? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I was three last week, four this week. It's good to know that you've been paying attention. Uh, but if the, if the word theology scares you, or maybe makes you feel a little sleepy, let me assure you that it, it really is about talking about God. Theology is, is understanding God. Our faith should be based on a, on a solid understanding. You know, a good understanding of God, it deepens our relationship with Him. It firms our foundations. It, it sinks our roots deeper. Because deep and deep roots mean that we stay firm in the storms, in the droughts that we experience in life, and, 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 you know, we can face the, the weeds and the pests that come our way using the, the growth analogy. So, so far, we've, we've looked at uh, understanding creation, understanding God and Jesus. And today, we're talking about understanding the Holy Spirit. The coming topics include the Trinity, salvation, the church with, the sacram with sacraments and and finally, heaven, which would be a really good place for us to finish, both in the series and in life, right? <laughs> I just thought of that on the spot. That's pretty good. Anyway, we're using this book. Here it comes now. This is where I'm basing everything. So it's not all my stuff, although I'm using some of my stuff, but Alistair McGrath writes this book called Theology, The Basics, and that's our source material. And by the way, I got contacted this week by Kevin Brown. He's the principal of our college, Kingsley College, and uh, because they were in lockdown in Victoria where he lives, he watched us online and he was excited to see that, you know, we're using um, this material from one of, my, one of the subjects I did years ago. And he said, and you need to let the church know we're doing this subject in semester two and if you're interested, you can do it. In fact, there's information at the, uh, connect, at the information desk. Is that what we're calling it now? Information desk. Um, and you can do it for either credit where it goes towards a certificate for in, in ministry or, ju or just for what they call audit, which simply means you do it for your own personal growth and gain. That's only $100 if you were to do that. So if you're getting something out of this particular series and you want to go a little bit deeper and do some of your own study, then I recommend you consider that. Anyway, today we're talking about understanding the Holy Spirit. It's fair to say, in my opinion, that the Holy Spirit is probably the least understood person or, or being in the, in the Trinity, the triune God that we worship. You know, we, we, we understand the Father, or we, we, we somewhat do, we attempt to. We understand the Son, but the Holy Spirit, you know, may I be as bold enough to say, not as much. And that's understandable. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's like the wind. We can't see him, but we know he's there. You know, direct quotes from Jesus all through the New Testament and, and, from, and from God, but direct quotes from the Holy Spirit, are, they're kind of few and far between. But they are there, by the way, in the Bible. Acts 13 is a good example. When the Holy Spirit told the church at Antioch, you're going um, to send Paul and Barnabas out. And although Luke, who wrote the book, doesn't say specifically how the Holy Spirit spoke, apparently he did. 
It's probably the more mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit that we struggle to accept as openly as say who, as Jesus. You know, he, he walked the earth. He, he was human. He lived like we did. But to reduce the importance and worship of the Holy Spirit would be very unfortunate and may actually put us in danger of not worshipping God in truth, you know, in spirit and in truth. We worship a triune God, not a buying God. And next week, I'm pretty sure next week, we're going to be looking at the, the Trinity. So you, you'll want to be back for that. Now, the Pentecostal movement, it, it had its, has its roots in the Azusa Street revival in 1906. Remember, we talked about this in depth in the Signs and Wonders series. I think it was in 2019. But it, it was that movement, it, it brought a new and important influence, I believe, on the global church. Their emphasis on the Holy Spirit in worship and in Christian life has, for the most part, you know, really tried to realign the church with our New Testament roots. Now, I want to be clear that the holiness movement that we, that we Wesleyan Methodists are part of absolutely value and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, especially that, that internal life-changing role that he has in us. So today we're going to take a look at the functions of the Holy Spirit, at least what, what we, we can see or we know, especially from the scriptures. But before we do, let's just be very clear once again, same as what we said last week on this question of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And you may think, well, there's no debate on this, but there has been through church history because it could be possible to see the Holy Spirit as just like an, an aspect of God's power. And the debate in, early, in the early church was, is the Spirit this activity of God or was the Holy Spirit God? And as the early church fathers wrestled with this question, the, the realisation, it came through the scriptures, as it always does, that the Holy Spirit had roles and functions that only God could do. So the Holy Spirit is, is God. From reading through scriptures, it's clear the Spirit lacks nothing. And on top of this, Jesus himself grouped the Holy Spirit with him and the Father when he clearly said, when you're baptizing people, it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Something we're doing next week, which I can't wait for. So the roles of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. John 12, 32, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. You know, Jesus is talking about when he leaves, but obviously he's not here physically anymore doing the drawing. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring this revelation to humanity, you know, making God known to us all through all stages of salvation, before salvation, at salvation, and after salvation. Salvation, of course, I'm talking about when we put our faith in Jesus and he says you'll be saved. There is an important doctrine that we hold to that says the Holy Spirit is already revealing God to us and our need to him before we're even in relationship with God. We call it prevenient grace, if you want to know the theological term for it. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Revealed to all people. You know, 
There isn't universal agreement, by the way, on this doctrine of provenient grace. I should point that out. That there's a very popular doctrine called predestination or election that states that only those God has predestined to be saved will be saved. And the second part of that doctrine is irresistible grace, which is a doctrine that says, uh, you know, in that preordained moment, God will pour out his grace on the, on the elect and they won't be able to resist and they will be saved. And this doctrine is, is uh, called Calvinism, named after John Calvin, who was an awesome, an awesome guy in our church history and brought a lot of great theology to us. And, and there's a lot more to it, by the way, than that. The holiness uh, denominations of which the Wesley Methodist Church are, we don't actually hold to that, to all aspects of that doctrine. We hold to this doctrine that salvation is for all who repent and, and act and, and choose to follow God with free will. And that God's grace is actually reaching out to everyone before we're saved and revealing his love and our need for him. And that doctrine's called Arminianism, named after Arminius. These terms get named after people. Again, there's a lot more to it than that simple explanation. But the point is this. It's not about Calvinism versus Arminianism, which has been a long debate through church history, it's about the Holy Spirit's role to reveal God to us. That's what I want you to take away today. Romans 8.16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would speak through prophets and reveal God to people. As one of his primary ways, the Holy Spirit would bring the word through those people. Today, the Holy Spirit has inspired the scriptures to reveal God to us, and he didn't just leave it at that. He also inspires our understanding and interpretation of the scriptures. So once again, God is revealed to us, and, and it enables us to be led into God's truth. But as Paul says in that Romans passage, there is a direct revelation with our spirit. So without the spirit, and his role. Truth is elusive. Knowing God is elusive. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Without the Spirit, there's no revelation of God for salvation. There's no revelation of God for sanctification. Sanctification means that I'm, be, I'm changing to be more like Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, there's not conviction to know that I need God. I need Jesus to be saved. All right, if I've confused you in that particular point, please come and see me afterwards because I feel like I may have. Point number two, the Holy Spirit appropriates salvation. You know, when we repent, when we ask God to forgive us and we commit our life to him and the Holy Spirit steps into our life with divine power, he heals us. Our soul is healed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You know, it appears from Scripture that the Holy Spirit appropriates this new life, the rebirth. This is what, again, I'm in Titus twice in one sermon. I don't think I've done Titus twice in one sermon. But here he is in uh, Paul in chapter 3. He says, He, Jesus, saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I was trying to um, 
yeah, I was reading the book and everything like that, getting my, trying to get my mind around this. It, it is somewhat mysterious. It's hard to, to clearly define. It's difficult to do that. But the process, I think, very much is that Jesus saves us. He takes the sin off us. You know, the Holy Spirit then puts on the defibrillator and hits the go button and brings us back to life, brings the soul to life. Jesus removes the blockage. You know, he removes the disease He removes the curse through his death. The power of the Holy Spirit brings us to life. Every person here who is a born-again Christian is a walking miracle. You've had the defibrillator. Maybe it took a lot of shocks (laughs) over a lot of time. And you're not sure whether it was number one or number 36. But the Holy Spirit kept hitting the button. It doesn't end there. It's just the beginning. From there, the Holy Spirit daily illuminates Christ in us so that we can fully take hold of him. Which brings me to point number three. He energizes the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is to bring the power that is needed to live for Jesus. And praise God for that, because I can tell you, without the Holy Spirit, we have almost no hope of success. You know, we need to be given the, um, the thanks to the Holy Spirit for how, how much he has helped us to get to where we are now. Here's some examples of how the Holy Spirit brings that energy, the, the, the empowerment for our life. The first thing is in our worship. John 4 says, the time is coming, it's here now. This is Jesus speaking. When true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him, him that way. For God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. To be honest, there's a lot of discussion about what this means, but clearly the underlying thing is the Holy Spirit has a role in how we worship. Also, what that looks like is debated, but I say it starts with open invitation, you know, with, for the Spirit to lead us in worship through His power, His leading, for it to be worthy of God. Worshipping in the Spirit is not a closed hands, arms folded posture. It's not so rigid that we don't follow Him if we have to worship in spirit and in truth then he should show the way. Open hands. The Bible is clear that God is a God of order, and Paul says our worship should reflect that. The problem is that sometimes maybe our idea of order and God's idea of order may not align with what we think. If the Spirit says, for example, change the songs we're going to sing, I do that to our worship leaders often, by the way, (laughs) and I always say yes. If the Spirit says, give us scripture or a word, we do it. If the Spirit says, just stop and wait, we stop and wait. Because maybe there's a a revelation coming. It doesn't mean it looks like the church we grew up in. It doesn't mean it looks like the church up the road. It doesn't mean like it looks like the church you like to watch on YouTube. The key is we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. We give space for him to move. 
and respond when he does. The second example is in our prayer, similar to the first one. Once again, the Holy Spirit leads and empowers our prayers. And here's the bit I love. When we don't know what or how to pray, there's a wonderful promise that Paul gives in Romans. You know, the Holy Spirit fills the gap for us. You know this verse, I'm pretty sure, but it's Romans 8. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I mean, that's really good right there. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Who's ever had that time in their life? Maybe it was today. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all hearts. The Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. That's so good. It's amazing, actually. And I actually think this happens when we're in our one-on-one time with God. I don't think what this verse is saying is don't pray because don't worry, the Spirit's got it covered. That's not what it's saying. It's, you know, there's those times when you, either you, you've run out of things to say or you don't know or you're just in, um, you're in a state of burden, perhaps. But it's, in the, it's still in that time of closeness with God in that one-on-one time that I think that this is when this is realized, you know, when the Holy Spirit really... He knows our heart, and so he's praying what really needs to be prayed. And I think we align ourselves with God's will when this happens as well. Praying in the Spirit is listening to him and praying the prayers that he's leading us to. We know that the Scriptures say that when we pray according to God's will, he answers. Well, we want to pray according to God's will, and this this is what the Spirit does. He helps us with that. The third example is in our unity. My original heading was our unity and community, and I thought that was a little bit dorky, so I just shortened it to in our, in our unity. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 uh, says, Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body with one spirit, and we share the same spirit. And I can't help but notice, sometimes you'll walk into a church for the first time and there's a connection, isn't there? There's something there and we know what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual connection. Or at least there should be. Should be. You know, if you do walk into a church and there's like a coldness or a dryness, maybe something's missing. But before we jump to conclusions about them, maybe we should check with us first. All of us who have received the one and same spirit are in a sense merged together with one another and God. It's a powerful force that maybe sometimes we don't embrace enough. Sadly, the church at times lacks unity, which I'm sure grieves the spirit. But to be honest... If we're filled with the Spirit and He energizes our community and leads us into truth, we should be able to actually show that example to the world. You know, the church should be the example. And I think sometimes it is. And I think sometimes it isn't. But we we know unity in our group of people and the diversity here better than, you know, the football club and the, the bridge club or whatever. Does anyone play bridge? <laughs> Does that still exist? 
feel like it's from my parents' generation or something. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? It should be better. The fourth one is in our witness. I think that Tim may have, may have already shared this one this morning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Did you know you've got the power of God in you if you've, if you've committed to Jesus, surrendered, been forgiven, and you're a Christian, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about that power. You will be his witnesses. And he even says, telling people about him everywhere. Because <laughs> we think, yeah, power to be witness, witnesses through my actions, and I absolutely agree with you. That's where it starts. But Luke did say, or Jesus did say, telling people, which is really hard to do, and I need God's power to do it. We need to tap into the Holy Spirit's power more in this area. I often don't feel like I've got it, speaking about God, particularly outside of the church. You know, it, it's hard. Anyone else experience that feeling? The evangelists in here are going, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But I know for most of you, you're probably a bit like me. Holy Spirit will help us. All right. The last one in this, how he energizes us or brings power to us, is in our holy living. Galatians 5 is a really good chapter. You should read the whole thing. But in verse 16, he says, I say, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In essence, he's saying the Holy Spirit leads us and provides the power for us to live the life of holiness that God asks of us. He is involved at all stages. He warns us about temptations. He provides the power and strength to resist that temptation. He brings conviction when we slip up so that we'll confess and get forgiveness. He intercedes in our sorrow. He, his influence, when given free reign, changes how we live. He produces the change and the fruit that align with Christ. In fact, Galatians 5 lists the changes, the evidence of the Spirit in us. And, and again, I know you know this verse well, but let's just please don't breeze over it Consider it and, and how you look or how you are. In Galatians 5, to 23, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It's love and it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and it's faithfulness and it's gentleness and it's self-control. There's a lot, isn't there? There's no law against these things. And I notice that Paul doesn't point to our spiritual gifts as the evidence of the Spirit. Although I know he would celebrate them, as would I. But please, this, this is what God is looking for. This is the, the evidence that we're letting the, the power of the Spirit 
in our lives and change us. That's the evidence. The Holy Spirit is essential to our life of holiness. Without his prominent place, without his infilling, honestly, I just say we're not strong enough to do it, we'll fail. I think this is the missing link for me when I was a young person. You know, I felt like I was taught a solid foundation of right living, for which I'm grateful. But I was either not paying attention or the teaching lacked the essential role of the Holy Spirit and his power in my life. Probably the first one, not paying attention one. <laughs> but this, is, this was, I felt like, what was missing from my life for a long time. So I wonder this morning, you know, how, how do we finish? When I consider all that we've covered, and, and as I say, each week it, we're just scratching the surface on these things. But you can't help but see how central the Holy Spirit is in, the, in, the, in your life, in the life of every Christian. You know, I've only just touched on it. So today I think we ask God to give us something that's valuable. You know, I think we ask him to fill us with his spirit. In most of the references in the New Testament, when Paul writes his letters to be filled with the spirit, he's talking to Christians, saved people. We know that Christians receive the Holy Spirit when they first put their faith in Christ. So Paul's talking about something that the Holy Spirit continues to do after that initial receiving, subsequent to it. And Paul implores them, be filled. Be filled. Here's what he says in Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. The drunk bit. He's obviously talking about. Instead, be filled. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... In and he goes on and says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Obviously, the Holy Spirit does something that makes us want to do that. And making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just ask you this morning, church, drop any preconceived ideas of what you think some of this might mean for a second. Because immediately some may think filled looks like being drunk on wine. But Paul didn't say get drunk in the spirit. He, you know, there's obviously a parallel that he's drawing. We're going to get to it. He said be filled with the spirit. Being filled with alcohol has an altering effect on us. Paul says forget that. You don't need that. Be filled with the spirit. That will have an altering effect on you the way that God wants It will lead you into true worship. It will lead your heart close to him. It will change you in the ways we've been mentioning this morning and more. Forget the expectations others have and what that looks like. If the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, we praise God when we're filled. If, if he removes your addiction, hallelujah. If he takes away your worry and fills you with his peace, we say, thank you, Jesus. God will do what God wants to do. We ask in faith. So this morning, we're just going to do that very simple thing of asking. We're going to sing, you can come now, team. But when you sing, and it's a, it's, a, it's a song asking the Holy Spirit 
to be present and to be moving here. I invite you, just have open hands, not closed hands. And then towards the end, I'll have the prayer team here, and, and you please come forward. And now just pray. It's a simple prayer. It's not a scary prayer. It's a simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this person today.